Hey everyone, welcome. My name is Nick Gibson. Thanks. If, uh, <laughs> uh, if my voice sounds weird, I uh, was coaching a volleyball tournament for nine hours yesterday, and there's not much of my voice left. If you do see Rachel, my daughter, she has some very, she has a lot of bruising, so don't blame me, and you can ask her to see it, because they did win second place at great cost to their physical bodies. Um, so I don't know if Minnie's, is Minnie back there? She also plays on that team, and Abby. Anyway, um, welcome. Great to see you. Uh, there's, you're going to kind of hear a lot this Sunday about um, what it means to be the body of Christ together. We've been talking out of the book of Ephesians for a while about how um, what the Apostle Paul tells us is that in Christ, um, overcoming the dividing walls of hostility between human beings is just as real a result of Christ dying for us as our personal salvation. Just as real as the fact that you have been justified, made right with God, cleansed, saved, delivered, filled with the Holy Spirit, given every gift, given a promise for eternity, individually in Christ. Just as real as that, so has everybody else. And as they receive it, we all become brothers and sisters together. And as that happens, God puts away the dividing walls of hostility between us. And you're going to hear about that in a number of different ways, three, at least three different ways today. Let me just read these verses for you, and then I'm going to let Dan give his testimony. It says, this is what happened in Christ. For he himself, Jesus the Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which put to death their hostilities. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those of you who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We've had a bunch of testimonies over the last several weeks about people who, for some reason or another, have experienced dividing walls of hostility, even inside the body of Christ, and have hope in Christ for them to be broken down further so that we can fully become one united people. I've worked with Dan for a while um, as he's written this testimony. I hope you'll receive it with grace and love, and I hope that it'll—remember, the point of these is to let them affect us and let them bring into our hearts the application of the fundamental truth of our oneness in Christ and how we can live that out better with all the different kinds of people who are in this family with us. Let's listen. Good morning, High Point. Uh, I'm Dan Risi. So when I joined the ushers team about three years ago, I was in the process of growing my hair and beard back out. Um, I was pulled by, aside by a woman here, and she told me I looked just like her nephew, who also had longer hair and a beard. She then proceeded to tell me that every time she sees her nephew, she berates him for looking how he does, and that he'll never be able to get a job or anyone's respect looking like that. <laughs> so that was my first memory of directly being told that how I look wasn't okay at here at High Point, that this doesn't belong here. Um, and there have been several other passing comments on my parents over the years, some even with love intact, but there's one more that really stands out, a very vivid scene in my mind from a little less than a year ago. Uh, I felt I had finally found my place in the church in Madison, leading the ushers team. As an aerospace engineer who enjoys mountaineering, it's not exactly obvious how I should serve on a Sunday morning. Uh, so that morning, I was sitting in the chairs in this hallway over here, uh, tallying up the headcount that we take every Sunday. As I was doing the math, a couple about the age of my parents came walking down the hallway. The man I was acquainted with and had maybe a total of 10 minutes of conversation with over the four years I'd been coming here. The woman I only knew from a previous time she'd commented my appearance in passing. So as they walked past me, the woman made a comment to me. 
something involving my hair and beard being too long, and the word ridiculous. And I don't remember her exact words, but what I'll never forget is the playful shrug her husband gave from behind her. A shrug that said, I know it's a bit rude, but what can I say? You do look ridiculous. And it hurt that this happened while I was serving in a way that finally felt right. Like, was there anything I could do to actually be accepted here? And it made me wonder why. Why was I serving in a church where just my presence was enough to draw criticism? Why did I make the hard choice to go to a church where the Bible was preached in whole, when I could go to another church in Madison that would be more affirming of me? Now, that's a bit of an odd question. Why would I be tempted to go to a church that preaches God's word selectively instead of completely? Well, there was a reason I looked a bit unkempt at the time. I wrestle with my gender identity. I grew up in a church where this wasn't discussed, but as soon as I put it together that I had this innate desire to live as a woman, parts of my childhood made sense for the first time. I immediately contemplated leaving the church because surrounding my sexuality to that extent was an unbearable thought. Simply put, I live as a man because I believe it would be sinful for me to transition to a woman. And one of the ways this struggle plays out in me is that it feels unnatural when I have short hair. So I grew it out to ease that pain. But then I looked in the mirror and I saw a woman looking back, a woman who I cannot be. And so I grew a beard to look, make looking in a mirror less painful. And looking back, I probably did look ridiculous to normal standards while I was learning to take care of long hair. But that couple in the hallway had no way of knowing what I was going through. And I know that me struggling with my gender identity never even entered their minds as a reason for how I looked. But they didn't ask, and I probably wouldn't have said. And I'm no better than that couple. They're probably a godly and loving couple in ways I don't know. And I've been judging them as though that one moment is all they are in Christ. I put up walls of hostility with my own assumptions and judgments, whether it's about that couple, or people who don't have the level of education I do, or people who aren't as intelligent. Sometimes I act like I'm justified by my education instead of by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But the gospel is a free gift of grace for all people, not just the educated or never judgmental ones. So I know I need to fight those walls as soon as I see them going up. And because of my particular burdens, my heart breaks for the LGBTQ plus community. I fear they might never see just how much God loves them due to us, the church. I hate that many of them see us call their lifestyle sinful, but they never hear us say that they are also made in God's image and that, God, and that Jesus died for their souls too. They might never know the crazy love that God has for them or see how his plan for their life is truly better as sometimes a dude with long hair isn't even welcomed here. God loves them just as much as he loves you and me. But the gospel gives me hope in this. Hope that that couple in the hallway was just lacking delivery. Hope that they can grow. And hope that through the power of Jesus, I can grow too. I have hope that I can tear down my own walls of hostility. Because I know that God loves everyone as they are, and so should I. So maybe try striking up a conversation the next time you see a wall glow up in your mind. You might be surprised at what you learn. But more importantly, with your extra effort, they might finally feel like they truly belong in the family of God, that they belong here. Thank you. Good morning, church. The uh, scripture passage for today will be in Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 17 through 21. If you would like to follow along, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you, and you can find that passage on page 1728. Romans 15, starting at verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except 
what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Hey, everybody. Um, High Point Church is a missions church. We're interested in being part of the international ministry of the gospel of Christ to all nations. The one thing Jesus told us to do besides be his and grow in godliness is to make disciples of all nations of the earth. So at least four Sundays a year, we try to specifically focus on the calling of global missions and something about it. Um, and when possible, we like to have a practitioner uh, as a guest speaker. So Nate Mirza is a, um, is a senior staff with the Navigators and International Student Ministries. He came from Iran himself as an international student to Cal Poly, where he um, came to Christ through InterVarsity. Um, he has been a mission partner of ours for 32 years and has been working with the Navigators for 58 so he has a little bit of experience, you know, and so uh, we're a little behind the service, so I want to give him as much time as possible, but his book, Home Again, um, is out in the lobby. This is a specific guide for discipling um, international students. It's everything you need to know in the first third of the book, and then all the conversations of discipleship you should have with an international student in the second two-thirds of the book. It's five dollars. And so it's like an education interacting with international students and a discipleship curriculum for them and for you in the second two-thirds of the book. It's an incredibly dense resource for, like, how many pages it is. And so do at least look through the table of contents and see what's there and see if you want to get a copy of it as you leave. Nate, please come while I pray. Father, we pray that you would, you would work in Nate now. Holy Spirit, come fill his lips and mouth with um, ways of saying your truth. Please use what you've already put in his heart and what you've revealed in his ministries and experiences as he has applied the scriptures to his life. And I pray that you would work in us. Open our hearts. Please, God, open our hearts to seriously listen and consider what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nick. What a joy to be here. My first association with this church started 41 years ago when it was Middleton Baptist Church, as my friends will remember. And uh, Don, I thank you so much for what you shared, the courage, the humility, I love your beard. <laughs> so well kept. I want you to meet my precious wife, Carol. Would you stand, please? <clears throat> we thank the Lord for our marriage of only a little over two years. And uh, many of you have prayed for us. We're enjoying being companions and the fellowship that we have in Christ, building each other up, ministry partners. We pray for sensitivity towards each other, understanding, compassion. And uh, she's teaching me how to have fun, how to be more human. I appreciate that. Two weekends ago, we drove from Colorado Springs where we live to Wichita, Kansas to attend the wedding of the daughter 
of an Indonesian student who used to be here, and you will hear about from him later. Well, by the time, by the time we got to Wichita, uh, on the way, by the way, we were listening to a book called The Afghan. And uh, by the time we got to Wichita, it was rush hour traffic, and we had, uh, uh, we were on a three-lane uh, three highway, you know, going 65 miles an hour. All of a sudden, car stopped. What? I was absolutely mystified. Carol looks at me and she says, are we out of gas? <laughs> I looked at the gauge and it was as orange as orange could be. <laughs> oh, no. Um, we discovered that this car goes 495.7 miles on a full tank of gas. <laughs> you know, but there was a major lesson from that experience because just before we got to Hayes, Kansas, I looked at the gauge and there was plenty of gas there. I said, well, sometime after Kansas, I'll fill up. But the Afghan trumped my memory. And the lesson from it was when the Holy Spirit impresses you to look at the gas gauge, <laughs> what he's really saying is that the next convenience stop, fill up. <laughs> Would you pray that I will obey the Lord's promptings? <laughs> I don't know how the Spirit of God is going to speak to you today how he might be prompting you. Would you pray that you will listen to him and because you love him, you obey him? The more I hear about High Point Church wanting to be a church that's more than just interested in missions, but wants missions to be part of the DNA of, of this body, the more I rejoice in what God has been doing here and what he's going to do. In the 1980s, I was uh, a chairman of the missions team, and so I feel like I have a vested interest in this church. And besides that, you've had a vested interest in us, in uh, supporting us and praying for us. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Holy Father, please speak, convict, convert, consecrate, and encourage hearts for your glory and help us love and obey you. Thank you for doing that. Well, the direction that I want to follow today uh, involves looking at God's heart for the nations, God's Head Start program, God's strategic program today, God's international trophies, and God's message for us. Um, I have not checked this with you. Is it possible to do them one point at a time? I'm on the, this fine is fine. Only on the next slide I'd like to do that. Okay. 
Right from the beginning, God spoke to Abraham and made a promise to him. I will make, let's all read it together. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God has always had all peoples on earth on his heart. He started with a nation, and the plan was that people would be looking at this nation and see what kind of life they have if they obey God. So let's read this one together. Observe them carefully. That is referring, I'm sorry, referring to the laws of God that he'd given them. That's what they were to observe carefully. (laughs) We'll go on. Start again. Observe them carefully, for this will show you wisdom and understanding to the nations. You will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great? as to have their God near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. What a testimony. He chose this nation to be in the middle of, at the crossroads of Europe, Asia, Africa as traders would come in and out of this area trading with the people of Israel, they were to see what kind of a nation is this. They were to see the life of God in this as a nation. And of course, they would go back and tell their own people. That I call attraction. Whoops, wrong button, okay. Again, let's read uh, Isaiah 49, six together. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light to the nation so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This directive is being given to some 700 years later to the people of Israel who had been in uh, exile in Babylon. And they were promised to come back after 70 years. And he's saying, they're coming back to be who I want you to be is too small a job. I got a much bigger job for you. The job is the entire nation. My salvation may go to the ends of the earth. Now, God's plan for all peoples. When Jesus comes as Messiah, he trains 12, gave them marching orders in two particular passages. In Galilee, after his resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You're seeing that theme coming through again and again, aren't you? And then just before he ascends to heaven, outside of Jerusalem, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. All Judea, that province they were in, 
Samaria, the next province, and once again to the ends of the earth. Put yourself in the sandals of the disciples that are hearing this. I can imagine some of them thinking, to the ends of the earth? Are you kidding? How in the world would we do that? Us poor fishermen, how are we going to do that? Well, not only did he give them the Holy Spirit to enable them to do this, but he arranged the um, circumstances of life to help them. It's what they call, what I call God's confidence builder. You have received, this is us now, we have received the power or ability to represent him in all relationships. We're called to share with other people who Jesus is and what he has done. We heard a great example of it this morning. This calling to share the good news of Jesus has the whole world as its scope. So, God says, okay, I'm gonna give you a flying start. I'm going to bring people from 15 different language groups and nations to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And there you will have the opportunity to share this good news and they will take it back to their places. This is the only explanation I know of how the, the church at Rome was established. Paul didn't establish the church at Rome, but these people who came to Christ during Pentecost, hearing Peter preach, they took it back. All right, how do you go about fulfilling this plan? The scripture reading, Becca, thank you for reading so meaningfully. It has always been my ambition, Paul says, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. How does Paul and his team decide where are we going to go next? I believe, according to this passage, he says, always my, been my ambition. One of the guiding lines was where have people not heard? Let's go there. What's your ambition? Look at the situation today. There are two billion people who have not heard of Christ. That's a lot of people. The job isn't done yet. What you see in the red section is referred to as the 1040 window. That's 10 degrees above the equator up to 40 degrees above the equator. In that section, the majority of the people who have never heard of Christ live and exist. Would you believe that over 90% of all missionaries' work is done among the reached peoples? What does that say to you? Would you believe that for every dollar of Christian resources, less than one penny is directed at reaching those yet to be reached. I hope that shakes you and me. But God in his goodness at this time in history has done a very beautiful thing in bringing the nations to us. 
It was 15 nations at Pentecost. It's at least 150 nations now. It's accelerated it. The best, brightest future leaders of the nations are here. A million of them. More, actually. In the same way that the peoples, were, the traders were coming to Israel and he's seeing what kind of life they had in God and going back to their peoples telling them, he is doing the same thing today. Uh, that whole, the majority of the international, whoops, sorry. Uh, the majority of the students are coming from that 1040 window. The majority of the Chinese, Indian, Middle Easterners, they are studying right here. Let's take a look at the obvious advantage that these international students have over cross-cultural missionaries. Now, I could be misunderstood. I am not saying we should not have missionaries being sent out to other cultures. God knows we need them. I've been one, am one. But because of this unique thing that he is doing, the internationals, they know their own language. Don't have to learn it from scratch. I met a lady before the service saying, I want to study Arabic. Good for you. How long is it going to take you? <laughs> These guys know Arabic. And please learn that Arabic, lady. Uh, they understand the culture. Takes us forever to understand other cultures. They already have natural relationships in their relatives, the people they went to school with, their neighbors, all of them. they're already there. They, all have, uh, they will reach people far, far less money than outside missionaries. Do you know that a family of four, American family of four in San Diego can live comfortably on $64,000 a year? A family of four missionaries going to China, I'm sorry, to Japan, it'll take ninety dollars to $100,000 per year. The international students that I will be telling you about, they already have income generating jobs, they don't have to raise support. They are leaders already, they make things happen. Um, if there are any international students present here today, would you be kind enough to stand up? Anybody here, upstairs, downstairs? Okay, we have two here. There'll probably be more at the other service. You're early risers, they're still sleeping in. <laughs> From India? Haji. So happy to see you. I want to have you stand, not to embarrass you, but to, but to honor you. To let you know that God has sent you here. To let you know that you have so much to teach us, to mo so much to contribute to us. And I hope that some of you who don't know them will meet them afterwards. If you don't have plans, even invite them out to lunch. 
They will love that. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's look at the Badger neighborhood. Do you know that you have uh, 60,000, six, sorry, 6,000 international students on this campus from well over 100 countries? It's probably closer to 135, 140 countries, right here. Can anyone be a missionary to 100 countries at the same time? Do you see what God is doing? It's amazing. You cannot. Can anybody here be a missionary in Saudi Arabia? No. They don't allow the building of churches there. A few years ago, there were 60 Saudi students at uh, UW and uh, uh, the other college, Edgewood. Is this today's Pentecost? Expanded beautifully, wonderfully. Just be their friend. And you will be amazed at what God does. I'm going to encourage you to reach out to international students, but I want to warn you. Please don't treat them as objects. Don't treat them as projects. I remember a Hindu friend of mine uh, telling me that uh, two Americans, uh, young people had uh, tried to tell him about Jesus one day. And of course, he didn't accept what they said. The next day, he saw them on the street. As soon as they saw him, they turned away somewhere else. They were treating him as a project. Let's not do that. Just be friends, love them. We'll get into that some more. Why do we have difficulty sharing the good news? I'm sure you've thought about this. First reason is because the devil hates God, he hates the gospel, and he hates you as his ambassadors. He deludes us into thinking that people don't want to hear the good news. Somehow we decide that this is the case. Not true. If they've experienced love from you, they want to know what's the, what makes you that way. He creates fear in us about beginning a gospel conversation. All right? <clears throat> we don't know how to love people. That's another reason. We get so wrapped up in ourselves, the things we like. It's all self, self, self. First John says, perfect love casts out fear. If you love the person next to you, you're not going to be afraid of them. Second Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. The question, my brothers and sisters, is do you and I really, really Believe this. Do we live as though this was true? 
And this, I think most of us will agree, we hardly have any non-Christian friends. That is a tragedy. And I confess, that's a struggle that I have. One of the things we can pray for each other is, Lord, give us natural, beautiful relationships with those who don't know Christ yet. And then the last reason that keeps us from being witnesses is what I call unrepented sin. If you have sin in your life that you have not dealt with, it's like plaque in your blood vessels. It, it restricts the flow of the life of Christ through us. See, if there's no sin, or any sin we've had is confessed, then we've been cleansed, we've been forgiven, we've been purified, and the life of Christ flows through us more freely. One of my favorite examples, oh, sorry, I've got one more thing to say before that. If we love people, we will live as Christ followers, and that's attractive. If we love people, we will serve people sacrificially if needed, and that's attractive. When people receive sacrificial love, they know this is something very real here, very real. What you were talking about earlier was absolutely on target. We explain, it's, it's more natural to explain how Jesus made us this way. That will cause people to either consider Christ, not care, or oppose you. Have you ever experienced opposition? I'm sorry to say I've experienced very little of that. According to Open Doors, 215 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution in 2018. I don't know about you, but I really have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. 218 million people in this world? High levels of persecution? We don't know anything about that. May the Lord prepare us for that day. May the Lord prepare us for that day. Okay. One of my favorite stories in the Bible of sharing what Jesus has done for me is the blind man in uh, John 9. Jesus heals him, and the skeptics will look at him and say, ah, he's not the blind man, he just looks like him. He says, no, 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 I'm the uh, person that was blind. Well, how were your eyes open? The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Think about that. This guy is telling people what Jesus has done for him, and he does it in three sentences and 33 words. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't even go to a Sunday school or Sabbath class at that time. He shared what Jesus had done for him in three sentences and 33 words. Okay, I'm going to put you to work in a, in a minute. 
Um, I will tell you my version, parallel to this, of what Jesus did for me. So I want you to see that as an example because your turn is coming. As an international student from Iran, when I heard it was possible for the Lord Jesus to actually live his life in me, I asked him to do that. He's been changing my life for over 64 years. Two sentences. Okay. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you. We're going to have a little exercise. And I want you in two or three sentences to express what Jesus has done for you. This will help you overcome some of the fears. Please don't tell your whole life story. Please don't explain the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Please don't share the whole gospel message. Just in two or three sentences, what Jesus has done for you. How many of you are processors? Hands are slowly going up. See, it takes time for a processor to <laughs> tell you that it takes some time. <laughs> You're not going to like me, but I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to be helpful. Take a, take a moment. Say, Lord, how can I say this in two or three sentences? Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and you share in two or three sentences what Jesus has done for you with your friend here. And then you do that with him. You've got one minute each. Go. The second person should be sharing by now if you haven't.
You may, you may not have finished yet, but at least you got a good start. I hope it was helpful to you. Think about it. Um, let's talk about meeting them. A 60-year-old, how do you meet international students? A 60-year-old lady in um, Malaysia went to the local campus three times a week. She sat on different benches and prayed. Lord Jesus, would you send me an international student to talk to? Within a year, she was discipling a whole range of international students and still keeps in touch with them today. If you have the desire and make yourself available, God will come up with the game plan. I say, Lord, I would like to do that. Not sure how to do it, but I'm available. You work through me. Now, I want you to meet three people. The first one is Herman from Indonesia, who was a student here in the 1980s. Second one is Ikhwan, also from Indonesia, who was here from in the, again in the 1980s. They're back in Indonesia serving. We'll talk about them more later. But they want to share with you. Herman particularly wants to share what this church meant to him. And the third one is an Iranian fellow from a Muslim background who is doing an amazing ministry. Would we turn them on, please? Hi, my name is Herman Raviro Maruto. I live now in Surabaya, Indonesia. And Nate Mercer asked me to speak to High Point Church, which used to be Middleton Baptist in my time. I used to be there, going to church regularly in the 80s, actually 82 to 87. And as I look back, Middleton Baptist has just become a tremendous blessing during my time as an international student. Because I attended church regularly, I joined the Sunday school, I have a personal relationship with Pastor Dick Season, and several times he invited me to dinner in his house. And even after I came back to Indonesia, he followed me up by a visit to my home country. Thank you. I believe the church has become a tremendous blessing and has become a part of my life during my college day in Madison, Wisconsin. God bless you. Hi, my name is Ikhwan Sahyadi. I am staying in Bandung, West Java, Indonesia right now. I'm married to Leah, my wife, and I have two children. One is Michelle and the other one is Raymond. One girl, one boy. And it's really a privilege that I just have my daughter get married yesterday here in Kansas. I just want to share what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a Christian counseling ministry right now in Indonesia with my wife and so many couples, marriages, and uh, also families that we help in the counseling and I'm so blessed that 
we can become the blessings for people in Indonesia by this ministry. It is also influenced by what I already experienced before when I was in Madison, Wisconsin. It's uh, 1987 through 1989. I studied chemical engineering at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. It is. It was a very, very good university or college. But more important than that, I think I experienced more about the facilities, about the environment spiritually. That I attended the good church is in the last time Middleton Baptist Church, and I was so encouraged by the sermons that I got every week, every Sunday in the service. Besides that, we have also Indonesian Christian Fellowship that not only Indonesian, there was Indonesian, Malaysian, and some Singaporean also get, we got together and uh, worship and sharing and also uh, we try to also uh, do the Bible study at that time. And it is really, really helpful for my spiritual growth. And on top of that also, I'm so blessed to have a mentor Nate Mirza, who really helped all the international students to grow individually, not as a group, but individually. So I think Nate Mirza have, has put a great investment in all our lives so that we can really understand the Lord more and we have a deeper relationship with God. So I'm so thankful that through these experiences in Madison, Wisconsin, I can become what I am right now. Thank you. God bless. Today I want to share with you the salvation story of a high-ranking military commander. His name is Hussein. He says he was born in a fanatic Islamic family. He says, one day I found about my wife's infidelity. That destroyed me. He says, I left with my two-year-old daughter and I wanted to divorce her. He says, for 40 days I was in shock and I didn't know what to do. Then he says, I decided to kill her. So one day I went to her house and opened the gas valve so that when she comes home and turns the lights on, then there will be an explosion and she will die. But I missed something and my plans failed to succeed. He says, one day my friend invited me to his house and told me that just a week before that, he had come to know Christ through your ministry. And he told me about Jesus, and he wanted to share Jesus with me. He says, all night we talked about Jesus, and all night I was hearing about Jesus, and I was sobbing as I heard the truth about God's love through Jesus. Just there, I knelt and asked Jesus to set me free from my anger and hatred. I felt a great peace that I had never felt before. The day after that, he says, I called my ex-wife and forgave her. My heart that once was hard now became full of peace and joy.
after a while, my ex-wife also came to know Christ and prayed the salvation prayer. Today, now this is today, today, my wife, my daughter, and I are living together in Christ's love. I'm so grateful that I didn't remain in death and became alive in Christ. Then he finishes with this. I am a military commander and I'm giving out the good news of Jesus in my workplace. I am a military commander and I'm living out the good news of Jesus in my workplace so that people can see our God's glory through me. What a transformation. Thank God. He is in the business of transformation. Well, my time is up. But I want you to know, these, this is what God was doing in these people, preparing them when they were students. What they are doing today, I wish I had the time to tell you, but it's phenomenal. This last person has been contributing to the gospel going out to Iran in the last several years through satellite. There are, the Iranian church is growing faster than any other per capita in the world. I want you to know, you have the students that are with you are these kind of people. 20, 30, 40 years from now, you'll be getting reports from them like this. Love them. Reach out to them. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot do this just because we're emotionally moved. But we want to respond to what you are doing by your spirit, would you enable us to see future leaders of the nations discipled here, going back or reaching out by other means to their people in their own languages. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us today as we respond to what we've heard and learned this morning? <clears throat>